He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made, him, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in the place of grace already given. What a great time singing praises with you today, hearing from the word. Open your Bibles to John chapter 1. I want to unpack these uh, few verses uh, that were just read for us this morning. We've been in a series now, this is three weeks in a series we have called um, Word Became Flesh from John chapter 1. Before I dive deeper into the word, I just want to remind you, if you weren't here during Family News earlier, we do have a community Christmas service this Friday night, December 23rd. A lot of people have Christmas Eve services, but we chose to have one not on Saturday night, but on Friday night. Would love for you to be there. Our praise team and Kip have a set of songs they'll be leading us through. I've, I'm crafting a message for the night. There'll be some experiential things. We have some musicians coming to do some special things for us. So hope you'll invite friends uh, Friday night from 6 to about 7 o'clock. Some of you have asked what worship times will look like next Sunday morning. We uh, don't have Bible classes, but we will meet in here about 10.15. Some of you have asked how long will that worship service go because you have families who you're wanting to do lunch with, and probably three hours. We'll cut it off around two, all right? <laughs> We're shooting for about a 55-minute, an hour-long time together. And if you're able to come, I hope you'll come. I know a lot of us have families that we enjoy being with in the holidays, but I also know that some of you in the life of this church are very lonely because your family isn't nearby, so we have become your family. So our presence here next Sunday morning will be the family of God, and we'll come together to encourage one another for a short season, or for a short uh, time. Uh, John chapter 1. Let me just kind of read through this. It's going to be on the screen. I hope it's in front of you. Uh, I, I told you a couple of weeks ago the image I felt God really placed on me about three weeks ago uh, when it comes to what I do every week, but not just what I do, but how you engage the Word of God every week. As in the Old Testament, there was the Ark of the Covenant. I don't have time to explain everything about the Ark of the Covenant to you, but there was this, this Ark, and the presence of God was thought to be there. So it was treated with great holiness. That Whenever they had to carry it from one place to another place, they were so careful how they, they carried it. They made sure there were no fumbles, that it wasn't touched in a way that wasn't supposed to be touched. And when I stand up here on Sunday mornings, I want to treat the Word of God with great care. I don't want to drop it. I don't want to fumble it. And as you go throughout your week trying to live out what the Word of God says, I want you to treat it with that kind of preciousness as well, that we don't drop it. We don't want to fumble it. We want to take it seriously. So I want us to stand today on the promise that come from John chapter 1. Let me walk you through this. If you have a pen or you take notes, I want you to write just a few things, all right? Verse 10 says this. He was in the world. Jesus was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Uh, it's, a, it's a hard 
thought to grasp that Jesus was connected with God in the very beginning when he created the world and now in flesh he comes into the world as a human being. He was in the world. The world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, in verse 11, and his own did not accept him. So Jesus came in a way where he was open to experiencing upon himself forms of betrayal, denial, anger, hostility, um, all these things. Jesus became open and vulnerable uh, to all of that. It says that he came to those who were his own, meaning Jesus didn't come as an outsider. He didn't come as some guest from some other place. He came to what was his very own, people he knew about, people he cared about. He, He stepped in and he invested. Verse 12, but to all who received him, underline the phrase received him, because it comes up again in a moment, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of the man, but born of God. So to those who receive him, who believe, and especially in the gospel of John, believe is a verb. It is something you do. It's not just something you believe in. It is something you do. And so to those who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave power. Have you ever thought about that? Like what what kind of power does it take to become a child? And what is declared here is that you were given power to become children of God. Power to change you from lost to found, from unsaved to saved, from separated from God to being able to thrive in relationship with God. Those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. Here's verse 14, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. A verse I carry with me everywhere I go. Um, uh, A verse that declares just the the beauty of God. The Word became flesh and lived among us. The word lived is a word for set up tabernacle. It's a word for someone who establishes a home. So the Word became flesh and lived. The Word became flesh and moved among us. And we have seen, we have seen His glory. The, The we have seen here is to view attentively. This isn't just a glimpse. This is viewing something with such care. It's like you're studying that. We have seen His glory. The glory is of a Father's only Son, full of grace and full of truth. Not half grace and half truth. Not full of grace with a little truth. Not all of truth and a little grace. Full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. Go home and read the first three chapters of John and watch what happens when John the Baptist speaks about Jesus. One of the reasons that his ministry was so strong, John the Baptist's ministry, is because he knew what his plan was in the greater plan of God, that he was not there to point people to him. He was there as someone who pointed people to Jesus, who lifted Jesus up, who placed Jesus in front of him. He says in John chapter 3, I must decrease so that Jesus might increase. And then verse 16, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. From his fullness. So God, who is sitting on his throne with everything he needed around him, all the hosts of heaven and the angels who were celebrating his name, God in his fullness chose not to hoard all of his goodness and his blessings and his gifts. He dispensed. God in his fullness has now given, and now you get to receive grace upon grace. Isn't that a beautiful thought? That the wave of grace comes and right behind it is another wave of grace. That the grace of God just keeps flowing for those who have received him, who have believed in his name, who have received the power to be called children of God. There's this grace upon grace that comes to you. Somebody say amen. 
And somebody needs to say, I really needed that today. That God in his fullness has now given grace upon grace. And so Merry Christmas. I love this season. I was reflecting with Casey. I do these weird things with numbers and years. Sometimes in my mind, I can't explain it. But I was thinking the other day, this is my ninth Christmas in Memphis and at Sycamore View. That's 25% of my life has been like here in this church or here in this, here in this city. So uh, Merry Christmas. I know this is a season. We see a lot of commercials. We see billboards. We see a lot of cute things, like uh, a lot of commercials. I know this year there are some commercials, and maybe you've seen them. For those of you who still watch TV, you know, and you see commercials occasionally, is that, you know, there's some commercials about adults getting all excited about Christmas, but usually it's kids who get so excited about Christmas. It was around Christmas. My brother was four years old, and we were, as a family, we were just reflecting on this story uh, when we were together uh, recently. When my brother was four or five, he had just started reading, and my mom told him, hey, Jonathan, you need to go take a nap, because at that age, he was still taking naps all the time. So he went to his room, and my mom said about 20 minutes later, Jonathan comes out, and Jonathan said, mom, I've been doing some praying. And my mom said, Jonathan, I think that's so good. And Jonathan said, mom, I've, I've been reading my Bible, and I want to I obey the Bible. And my mom said, Jonathan, that is something, that, that is great. That's what your dad and I want for you. And Jonathan said, and mom, I want to obey what God has to tell me. My mom said, Jonathan, that's great. And Jonathan said, and nowhere in the Bible does it say that kids have to take naps. And, <laughs> and my mom was like half wanting to laugh, but, you know, her response was, but the Bible does say children obey your parents, so get in your room, you know. Uh, I bet a lot of you have stories around Christmas. I mean, you see even on America's Funniest Home Videos, you know, kids who get in Santa's lap and they're thrilled and some get in his lap and they're, they're freaking out. They don't know what to do. All these stories that come. I want you, think about the cards that you see and that some of you send out. I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody who sends out Christmas cards. But if you go through Kroger, because we send out Christmas cards, all right? We go through Kroger and Walmart and you look at cards. And, and one thing that, that, that is a reality is that we have domesticated so much of what the birth of Jesus was about. If you look at cards, uh, it, the, the, the scenes we have is Jesus in a manger and everything looks to be calm around them, right? It, it's calm and things are in order and angels look so cute as if when those angels we see on cards and, 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 and you just Google angels and you would think that Mary and Joseph, when they encountered one, would be like, you cute little thing, you know? But, but actually what happens when angels encounter Zechariah and Joseph and Mary and the shepherds is that the angel, the first thing the angel says is, well, well, don't be afraid. Like, don't fear. And there's so much that we have domesticated about the story without realizing that the Christmas story, the story of Jesus coming into the world was, was anything but order and calm and nice and... and, and it was, it was dysfunctional. It was chaotic. The world had gone crazy. And Jesus was born into this great mess. And he came anyway. Chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh. It's not the word became man. It's not the word became human. It's not the word became body. It's the word became flesh. You see, because John was the last gospel that was written. Matthew, Mark, and Luke had come way before John. And John was writing his gospel at a time that this form of thinking called Gnosticism had taken off. And what the Gnostics believed is that Jesus came in the appearance of a human being, but that he actually wasn't, you know, 100%, like fullness, a human. It was, that, it just, it was like an illusion. 
So what they were able to teach, and what they started teaching was that, that this divine being came, and he wasn't fully God. He, was just, he just looked like, or fully human. He just looked like he was fully human. And John's writing to these same people who are receiving these Gnostic teachings as if to tell them, no, 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 no. The Word became flesh, fully flesh, still fully God. Jesus didn't leave what it meant to be God, but he was fully flesh. And what that meant was Jesus was now... Um, Jesus now, in, in weight, he became uh, under all the forms of human existence. With Jesus becoming flesh, meant that Jesus now would experience what you and I experience sometimes. Sicknesses, illnesses, betrayal, hurt, pain, suffering, temptation. Where Jesus came in flesh in a kind of way that if he wanted to sin, he could have sinned. In every way, he became like us. And Jesus was so set on his mission. He knew that his mission was, he came into the world to bring light and salvation to the world. And what blows me away every December when I think deeply about how God came into the world is that God has done the impossible to come and save us. He's done the impossible. He didn't come and just drop a, like some plan of here's how you get saved. God brought himself to usher salvation into the world. Jesus came and he fully invested in this world. Uh, so uh, I've told you a few stories. It was almost three years ago I went up to Barrow, Alaska for this project. It was a sermon series. It was also a book I was writing. For those of you who aren't sure where Barrow is, can we just get, get you see where Barrow, that's Alaska, and Barrow is that tip-top point. I have pictures that I took. I took selfies. If you're on the tip-top point of the United States of America, you're allowed to take any selfie you want, all right? I took selfies at the point where the United States of America cannot go any further north than the point where I stood. And for a week, I lived in negative 20 to negative 55 wind chill, and I had all these encounters with these people who live in this, this town called Barrow. It's about five, 6,000 people who live there. People who live in Barrow make pretty good money. I spent a couple of days in the public school. There was a high school there, uh, middle school and high school in Barrow. And I spent a lot of time interviewing um, the principal and her assistants and the counselors and teachers and students. And one conversation I had with that principal was so enlightening because she said that 90% of the teachers there actually live in the lower 48. But they go up to Barrow where they teach for three or four years and they stay there for nine months and then they go back home for three months because teachers in Barrow probably make two times more than any teacher who's in this room today. So they go up there, they live three or four years, they're younger people, fresh out of college, they make good money, and then they go back down to the lower 48 and they, and they live life. And she said what she realized, the first two years she did that. Yet whenever she would go to the post office, the natives didn't want anything to do with her. Uh, I, I didn't know when I first went up there that you weren't supposed to refer to people as Eskimos. I was not told that was a derogatory term. Somebody in here who knew that could have helped the brother out like three years ago, all right, to save me the embarrassment. But she said she would go in the post office and come out, and she would try to wave, and people wouldn't wave back, the natives who had lived there for generations. She would try to engage in conversations. They wouldn't engage in, engage in conversations back. Until there was the summer, her and her husband chose not to return to the lower forty-eight. Because what the natives are used to is people who come up there to live for a few months and to make money, and then they leave. And they come up and make an appearance for a short time, and they leave. And it wasn't until they knew she was invested 
that they begin treating her as one of their own. Jesus didn't just step in like on a helicopter and just offer this plan of salvation and jump back on and, li- and leave. For over 33 years, he lived and invested and, and showed us what it meant to be fully God, fully human. Jesus came to this earth, was born through a woman, uh, walked this planet, learned to live, and, and did this for you. And it's okay to personalize this. It's okay sometimes to reflect back, Jesus, you... You came for me. And I've seen when people like grasp that reality, sometimes for the first time, like, oh my goodness, Jesus did this for me because I think most of us are in agreement when it comes to how we wear crosses on our bodies. It's not bad to do that, but we should not be wearing them. We should be the ones on the cross. Jesus went to the cross in your place, was born to usher light and salvation into the world and into your life. Yet I hope maybe this Christmas season, that God will also take you and pull you up to give you this greater vision on how Jesus didn't just come to save you, we came to save the world and how he loves to work through you to usher his salvation into the world. So this phrase, and you'll see it in your bulletin if you look on the back, for the title of the sermon is Our Humble God. Uh, and I struggled with that title because I was like, well, can, is God really humble? Like, is that a word I would use to describe God? Because... Is it a word I'd use to describe Jesus? Because if anyone had the right to walk this place of this planet with like a puffed out chest, you know, kind of this who's your daddy attitude, I mean, it would be Jesus, right? But this humble God, does that even fit who, who, who God is? I mean, you know, the, how many of you have ever had a mom say, I brought you into this world and I can take you out? Just a show of hands. Have we had a few? I mean, Jesus is the only human being that whenever Mary looked at him when he was like four, and I know Jesus didn't sin, but if he like stepped on a cheerio or, you know, he was being too loud or something and Mary was just having a bad day and Mary was like, I brought you into this world. I could take you out. Jesus is the only human being who's ever lived who could actually look at his mom and be like, well, you know, mom, that's not really true. I mean, actually, I brought you into this world and I could take you out, but I'm not going to do that because I'm your mom. But here in all of his glory, all of his power, God chose to become so little. This one rabbi, a father, said this, that God is little, that is the truth which Jesus taught man. That God is bigger than you could ever imagine. And through Jesus, God showed us that God is also willing to get small to usher in his plan in this world. That the God who roared, the God who could shift armies around like like playing chess, the God who could part seas and move mountains and create the world with just a word of his mouth, that this same God was willing to come onto this planet in a human form as a baby who couldn't chew solid food, as a baby who couldn't walk. I think sometimes we forget that. I think sometimes we think that like at three weeks old, Mary and Joseph would look at Jesus to pray at the dinner table and Jesus as this little baby would have this voice like, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. But Jesus had to grow in wisdom and stature and he was born in a way where he did not, he couldn't control his bladder. He had to depend on a young teenage woman for shelter and and for food and for love. He became dependent upon human beings who would help raise him to be who God intended for him to be. It was quite different than the way a lot of us traveled or the way many people with great power traveled. Queen Elizabeth II, I was reading about her recently. When she travels, she takes 4,000 pounds of luggage with her. 
Now, some of you are looking to your spouse or the person next to you, and you're like, well, you're close, you know, when we travel, right? 4,000 pounds of luggage, two outfits for every day. She takes an outfit just in case someone dies and she has to go to a funeral. She also carries with her everywhere she would go when she traveled a lot, 40 pints of plasma, because who doesn't travel with that, right? Just in case. And not only that, she also took, last but not least, leather toilet seat covers, right? And many of us are like, that's a great idea, right? God's visit to earth was quite different. An animal shelter, no attendance, a feeding trough, and to a world that had gone crazy. Um, The birth of Jesus, 2,000 years ago, actually has more in common with us than I think we realize. Uh, Jesus was born into a time where it was some of the most uh, violent time in the history of the world. And I reflect back on where most of us in this room currently live. I mean, I know violent crime throughout the U.S. is actually down a little bit, but here in our city, we've already set the record for homicide numbers. And I don't know about you, but I mean, for me, it's like one homicide is one too many in Shelby County. Domestic abuse is still way too high. One domestic abuse is one too many. I I don't know if you heard last night. I mean, there's a three-year-old in Little Rock who was shot from a parent road rage. She's riding with her grandma. Like, we live in a timeline where, like, people shoot each other because somebody cuts them off on a road, you know? Uh, And I'm not trying to strike fear in anyone. What I want you to know is Jesus was born into a world that violence was out of hand. He was born into a region that was ruled by a guy named Herod who got mad at his wife one time and had her executed. Got upset with his children, had two of his sons executed. He was so addicted to violence. When Herod knew that he was on his deathbed, he had some of his people go and arrest others, some innocent people, And the order was that whenever he died, they were to be executed so that the whole city would be in mourning whenever he passed. He's the same guy that when he found out that there may be some prophecy about a baby coming into the world who would be a challenge to his throne, gave the order for all children under the age of two to be killed near and around Bethlehem. And he was working for Emperor Augustus, who, though the peace of Rome was spreading, the peace of Rome's often would spread through violence. And Jesus was born into that. All right, and, and not only that, I don't know about you, the last couple of weeks, I mean, my, my heart is just being torn and ripped open because of the refugee crisis. Uh, my friend Jeremy Courtney, who was here on this stage with us, who lives in Iraq, he was here about two years ago. He lives in Iraq. Uh, the preemptive love, the folks he worked with are actually now in Aleppo. And I'm hearing stories from Aleppo and Syria and places in Africa and and West Asia and uh, even here in the U.S. And I've been praying a lot recently, like, God, like, what what do you want me, what do you want your church to do because of this refugee crisis? Because I'm trying to reconcile in my own life all the times in the Bible that it talks about caring for the orphan, the stranger, the foreigner, the alien, all these places in the Bible that talk about that and trying to reconcile with what does it mean 
What does it mean for me and how I pray and resources and action and what it means for the church? And as I do all that, I'm praying a couple of weeks ago, also reading through the the story of Jesus entering into the world. I'm like, God, what do you want me? Like, how do you want me to pray for the refugee crisis? And the response I kind of heard from God was, you know that I actually became a refugee too. Do you remember that story from Matthew 2? So I went back and read Matthew 2 where Jesus became a refugee where Joseph and Mary ran from a tyrant and lived part of Jesus' childhood down in Egypt, in Africa, displaced as poor people before they ever came back. And I think of the world Jesus was born into, and I think of the world we are living in and children in our own lives are being born into. And I thought Jesus still came then, and Jesus still comes now. Jesus came through a young teenage girl named Mary then. And Jesus wants to come into the world through his church now. And when the angel came to Mary and told Mary what the plan was, do you remember what Mary's response was? Mary's response was, Lord, however, whatever it is you say, as you have spoken, I will do. What is our response when we read the word and when we receive from God? Here is how Jesus is so eager to enter into the world. And here's the part you play in it. What is our response? Philip Yancey said this in his book, um, uh, The Jesus I Never Knew. And he's reflecting on Mary who, was, uh, who became impregnated without ever being with her husband and And Philip Yancey was reflecting on what this would mean for Mary in her culture to be a woman who was pregnant out of wedlock. And what he's, as he reflected, he said, often a word of God comes with two edges, great joy and great pain. And in that matter-of-fact response, Mary embraced both. She was the first person to accept Jesus on his own terms, regardless of the personal cost. Isn't that good? In the text we read this morning in John 1, about the Word becoming flesh, it talks about that we receive Him, and that those of us who received and have believed in Him, have been given the power to be children of God, we also receive grace upon grace. The greatest gift we can receive this Christmas doesn't come under a tree. It comes from heaven, and we have to receive it. We don't earn it, we don't buy it, we don't take it, we receive it. For our shepherds and those praying this morning, will you go ahead and get in your places? We're going to sing a couple of songs. We call this prayers of the people. This has been this part of worship that's gone on for hundreds of years where people sing, but people also have a moment to reflect and to pray. So we fill this room with elders with women like Rachel Galbraith. I see Lisa Powell moving to receive you for prayer. And I encourage you to take advantage of some of these places. It may be really hard for you to receive something from the Lord right now. And what you need is for someone to pray over you that God will create space in you to receive what it is God wants to give you. And if there's a need you want to bring in front of this church or someone who wants to trust in Jesus today and be baptized into Christ, John French is over here to my right to receive you. Will you bow your heads before we sing this song? And I invite you, if you're willing, if it's comfortable, will you just open your hands where you are to the Lord?
before we sing, I encourage you just to, to pray, just spend a moment in prayer with God, asking God to give and asking God to help you to have space to receive. Ask the Lord what it is he wants to dispense into your life. In this moment, I encourage you, especially those of you who are clinging to sin that has been conquering you for too long. For those of you holding on to unhealthy emotions that you've been holding on to for way too long, that in this moment you let go so you can receive more from him. And ask God to give you the courage to let go. He'll he'll help you. Jesus, in this moment, as we sing, in your fullness, will you dispense grace upon grace? In the name of Jesus, we pray.